0: We have a really great episode today, but it does come with a couple heavy warnings. So I'm going to get into those first before everything else, and then we'll start the episode. So this episode is with Andrea Dunlop, who is the host of the podcast, Nobody Should Believe Me, which deals with Munchausen by Proxy. So this episode, we are going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about medical child abuse. We're going to be talking about CSA. We're going to be talking about... Female crime and female violence, and all of those kind of topics. So, it does get a little heavy. We do discuss details, not specific, but we do discuss details. And I just want to let you know I didn't cry while editing it, but I did definitely feel that uncomfortableness that I did when we had the conversation. It's just, as a parent, it's really, really hard to listen to this kind of stuff, but it's also really important to know what the signs are and what it looks like so that we can help kids that might be in this sort of situation. I also want to let you know that when we recorded this episode, the second season of the podcast had not yet come out. So any mentions of us saying like, oh, I'm so excited. It's out. It's already out. So you can go listen to it right now. It's great. It is amazing. I also want to give a little shout out to Eddie, who is out on the trail. He said that he has been listening to the show and it's just it's nice. I've been catching up and watching his journey. He posted some pictures of Mount Shasta covered in snow and it was just gorgeous. And so I, uh, I wanted to give him a shout out and say hi because I know he's listening and I'm sure he's smiling right now. I also want to say thank you to our newest Patreon members, Jolie Giroux and Amelia Grace. I appreciate my Patreon members so much and we don't have a nickname for you guys yet. So we got to figure that out. But um it's just it's cool. Like this episode, I had some technical difficulties and I usually get it up much earlier than I got it up this week. And everybody was like super cool and understanding. And I really appreciate that because the AC went out and we're in this like heat advisory warning like, oh, my gosh, it's so hot. And my computer like restarted on its own and everything that wasn't saved was lost. And it was like a nightmare. So I still got it up early. I just didn't get it up as early as I usually get it up. I just wanted to say that I appreciate you guys. (laughs) I really appreciate you guys. I'm also working with a graphic designer. We're designing some merch. We had a meeting about Obsessed Fest. I have more details. I am going to be doing two days, two different things. Uh, One sort of just a fun kind of like almost like a live TikTok thing. And then the second day, I'm going to be doing a live podcast episode. So all of you will be able to hear the audio. We will be recording it and it will come out on the show. And then the video, I believe there's going to be video. The video will be really, if there's video, it will be released on Patreon. I'm super excited about that. And if you're going, you better show up and you better come to the meet and greet and you better say hello, because I'll be so upset if you don't. I will be so sad. You have to come say hi. I'm really excited for everything that I'm working on right now. You guys are going to be super excited too. I really love the way that this podcast is going and the way that the community is growing. And I wanted to just offer some more fun stuff, even if you're not on the Patreon. So we are working on some things and those will be coming out soon. And I will let you all know as soon as it is ready so you can check it out. And in cult news, Leslie Van Houten from the Manson cult was released on probation. And I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. I try to be compassionate for victims of cults, but that I also want to be compassionate for victims of disgusting, horrible murder. So it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting feeling, but, um, Leslie Van Houten has been released from prison. Anyway, enjoy this episode. Welcome back to another episode of Life After MLM. I'm really excited. This episode has been like a while in the making and we just haven't been able to connect until now. I am so excited because we're gonna talk about a couple different things. Um, and I think you are you guys are ready for it. We're gonna talk about like podcasting and Munchausen by Proxy and oh, like how there's a crossover to MLM and it's just so good. And so I wanna welcome to the show my friend, Andrea Dunlop. Hi, how are you?
1: Hi, I'm great. It is such a delight to be here with you.
0: I am so excited. So your podcast is Nobody Should Believe Me. We talked about it a ton. A ton of my listeners listened, sent me messages saying, thank you so much for that incredible recommendation. I even though I'm a podcaster, and I should probably listen to more content, I am a content creator and not a content consumer. And so I don't really listen to a lot of podcasts. But I devoured your podcast. I was like, I love this. I I couldn't wait every time I got a notification that there was a new episode. Like, I was like, I cannot wait to go to pick up and I would listen to your podcast on the way to getting my daughter from school.
1: Oh, thank you so much. That means a lot to me, especially coming from you because I love your show. And yeah, I I have good news for you because we have our second season is coming out and we're going to have more episodes than last time too. So I'm so excited about the second season. I think it's even better than the first season. We really like kind of hit our stride this, the second season, and I'm super excited to share it with everyone, but I I really appreciate you sending, sending your fans my way. I definitely heard from a few of them that came from you and they were nice people. So
0: (laughs) There, we have the best fans. I think they would agree. They are just so incredible and helpful. They answer the calls to action, they listen to the podcast recommendations. They're fantastic and I love them. So, let's get into it. Let's first talk about because I'm a podcaster and I'm kind of maybe working on a project, so I have questions too. But let's talk about what your like inspiration for even wanting to start a podcast and like what that process looked like.
1: Yeah. So, for me, you know, my background is as an author, my primary well. I feel like these are both my primary jobs now. I just have one of those artsy careers where I'm like, I do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. So I'm a novelist. And well, I got into this topic of Munchausen by proxy because I have a, a family story, which we'll talk a little bit about. But I had written a novel that was partly based on, on my family's story, the, my novel We Came Here to Forget, which came out in 2018. And then I was, you know, doing some media around it and disclosed the fact that this came from a real experience and that I really wanted people to be aware of it because their, you know, awareness is really low. And that's what sort of got me into the kind of professional space of, uh, you know, working with this committee that I'm now on that's part of the American Professional Society on the Abuse of Children, which is a big multidisciplinary organization that has, you know, like social workers, doctors. Psychiatrists, psychologists, nurses—you know, all kinds of different people with like a lot more education than <laughs> myself. But that was how I met this group of people and Detective Mike, who is the law enforcement expert and who is the person who's he's on the podcast a lot. He's a big collaborator of mine, and he and I work on a book together. So it was while all of those things were coalescing, and then I was actually making a podcast, which is still not finished because my dad has the busiest schedule ever. But I was making a podcast with my dad. But yeah, so that's how I got into it, and then I was working with. This brilliant producer, Tina Knoll, who has incredible background in news, has won like an Edward R. Murrow award for her coverage of the Obama election. I mean, really like a serious kind of heavy hitter. And I just, you know, we got to be friends working on my dad's podcast, and I just really love her. And so I kind of just coalesced all of a sudden. I I just thought, I am unlike you, (laughs) I am like a very, very voracious podcast listener. So I do love podcasts. I don't listen to a ton of true crime. I think that's probably because. So much of my life has to, you know, my work life right now has to do with dealing with these pretty grisly stories that I just can't like. You know, I need to watch like Ted Lasso and like Love Is Blind when I get off. I can't like. I need to just like and like go garden and like not do anything, you know, more serious than that. So, but I do love podcasts. I love the form as a listener, and so I just thought, oh my gosh, this would be perfect for a podcast because. And I was learning all these interesting stories as I was meeting the committee members, talking to them about their cases. In particular, Detective Mike, you know, had all these interesting cases and I was just seeing all of these parallels and I thought oh wow like you think when you're a person alone with one of these stories you think I have the weirdest story in the world and then you start talking to other people and they all sound exactly alike. And I was like, this is really compelling. You know, nobody is talking about this issue in this way where they're really like, you know, I mean, some people have done some really excellent reporting on the topic and I don't want to take away from that, but like, you know, it's is usually about like an individual case and then they talk to some experts. And so it's, I really wanted to tackle it kind of more holistically as an issue. And I just thought this has everything that I think you know, podcast listeners would be into, right? You've got a really compelling true crime element. You've got an underlying disorder that psychiatrically, you know, psychopathology, that's really, really strange and hard to understand. And you have female criminals, which I think people are compelled by because we're so, that's where some of the crossover comes with the MLM communities. We're compelled by them because we have such a poor understanding of female crime and female violence, essentially. And so that's like those things I just thought. And I knew Tina was like, I already trusted her. You know, I really would have had to like I can't imagine this project kind of coming about any other way than with her because she has been a massive like part of this podcast she's a huge creative collaborator on it she's been in the field doing interviews with me so I mean she has been like my you know my (laughs) ride or die the past few years making this show
0: it's an incredible show and it's an incredible topic because it's not something that I think a lot of us maybe think that we come across, although we probably are coming across it quite a bit, but we've seen it in movies or TV shows. Like I remember reading books and and that sort of being the, the gotcha plot twist. You're like, oh, yeah. oh my God. That's what I knew about Munchausen by Proxy. And I knew it as Munchausen by Proxy because that's that's all I knew. And so listening to your podcast not only gave me a better understanding of what it is, it gave me language for it as well. So can you explain you know, Munchausen by proxy and and what we call it in all of that to my listeners so that we can get on the same page.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. It, there is <laughs> a very vibrant debate in, in this community about like what to sort of, what to call it. And I use Munchausen by proxy a lot of times in the outward facing stuff, because that's the terminology that people know. So if they hear it at all, then they, that's the one that they have heard of. But when we use the term Munchausen by proxy is not, that was the original term that pediatrician called Roy Meadow, um, Coined back in the late 70s when he sort of put a name to this behavior, but it's not the official term used really anywhere. So it's more of a colloquial term that we use to describe two separate things. And those two things are the act of harming a child by fabricating, exaggerating, or inducing illness, right? And that is medical child abuse. So that is the name of the crime and the form of abuse being committed. When a caretaker, almost always a mother, 96% of the time, mothers that we know of, it, it, when they do that to their child, that's what that is called. The underlying disorder, which is in the DSM, which is the psychiatrist's Bible, that's like the book that has essentially the book that has all the names of all the disorders people, you know, that are named so far there is a name for the disorder of someone who engages in that behavior for the purpose of sympathy, attention, and intrinsic rewards. So basically, like, they do it to get their emotional needs met, right? And so that is called factitious disorder imposed on another. And it is it's included in this umbrella of factitious disorders, factitious disorder imposed on self. You can maybe see why these like didn't catch on because they're very <laughs> Um, but or Munchausen syndrome as it's more commonly known is when you do those things to yourself. And again, it's believed that people do it for the purposes of, you know, sympathy, attention to be seen as heroic, to be seen as, you know, oh, you're a fighter and kind of get that attention. So there is a crossover with what's called malingering or malingering by proxy. You do often see these behaviors as well. But if someone is just pretending to be sick to like raise money on a GoFundMe, or they're just pretending their child is sick, like a child that maybe they don't even have, you know, just to raise money, if someone's doing it just as financial fraud, that's what's called malingering. It can get confusing because, you know, a lot of these Munchausen cases also involve some financial fraud. But if someone is doing it in the absence of any external reward, that's when it sort of is tied to these disorders. But I always like to make sure that people, you know it's really interesting to unpack the psychopathology behind this and talk about the why but i always want to make sure people don't lose the sight of the fact that this is abuse and that children are being harmed and all of the other questions about why need to come later right it's all it should always be our primary focus to protect children and this form of abuse has a higher death rate than any other form of abuse it's thought to be around 9% so um so yeah it's it's really serious and you know, you kind of alluded to this, but one of the revelations of making the first season for me was that it's all of the experts that we talked to said it's a lot more common than people think it is.
0: And it's like, it's a scam in and of itself that like, I don't really talk about because it is more, you know, like you're saying like a disorder. And so it has never really come across my path like that, but it it sort of is, especially the malingering aspect of it, of trying to get money um, we see that a lot on social media. There's a lot of people that call that kind of stuff out, unfortunately, not the call out, but that it happens. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, it's really interesting. It, it really made me think in a way that I had never thought before.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's one of those things that once you see it, you kind of can't unsee it. And I think that that is part of the, like people are very, in particular, Munchausen by proxy because it is a mother doing it to a child, which is really, I think the worst thing that most of us can imagine, right? And that you talked about sort of it popping up in as a plot device, and it's usually a horror plot device, right for that reason because it's really the most sort of depraved thing we can imagine is a parent, a mother in particular, not just a parent, but a mother in particular. this person that we think should have the most instinctual drive to never ever hurt their child. Making their child sick, possibly to the point of putting their life at risk, in in some cases, for their own emotional gratification, and that is a really horrible thing to sit with. But I always want people to understand that, like, the cost of not seeing it is that children are being tortured. I mean, it's really that's that's what it is. And so I think it's really like it's on those of us who are you know especially i think parents especially moms i think like are are really an audience that i always want to reach because i've become convinced that we're all going to come across a case in our life i think it's much like child sex abuse where it was once thought to be extremely rare. And this is this one in a million thing. And now we all recognize for the most part, the culture has evolved. We recognize that like, you're not going to go through your life without meeting someone who was a victim of sexual child abuse. In fact, you'll probably meet a bunch of people. And I, I think this is just as prevalent. It's just not being recognized.
0: As a mother to think about that. It is, it's one of the worst things I could possibly ever think. And I, I even thinking, in television shows or movies it's always a horror device always yeah. like you know the sixth sense there was something and there was a book that i read i can't remember Gillian flynn did a book that that was yeah, a sharp objects, sharp objects mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um and then we also think about like the gypsy rose case yeah yeah and that's that's the
1: most famous case of the modern era for sure and of course that one has the extra sort of like you know, I mean, the plot of that story as a real story is is really something because, of course, then you have this twist that she conspires with her boyfriend to murder her mother. And, you know, I always like to point out to people that Dede Blanchard, who who also probably murdered her own mother, because that was, you know, if you've watched Mommy Dead and Dearest, they cover they cover that in depth. She was never charged with a crime. Her daughter was never separated from her. I mean, there were suspicions. There were doctors who had suspicions and tried to intervene, but she was never separated from her permanently. She was never held accountable. She was never, quote, diagnosed with any mental disorder. And yet, of course, we all recognize that that behavior was happening and that that behavior happened. So I think when you sort of hear these cases right now, there's, I I thought this was a new trend. I've been told by my colleagues that have been working in the Serena for 40 years that this is not a new trend. There's been a lot of sort of big stories about women being falsely accused, right? And I always just beg people to like look beneath the surface a little bit of that. And unfortunately, I think there's been some very too credulous reporting on those stories because just because the justice system fails does not mean that someone is not guilty. And I think we all know that, right? On some level, like we've watched. Me too go down. And we've watched like all these other things where it's like, yeah, there's a lot of situations where you know the justice system is really complicated. I've learned so much about how the criminal justice system works, working with Mike. And I think like I, I always just want people to like, if you see a story about it's not that false accusations never ever happen, but when they do happen, they usually are situations like. One of my colleagues told me like, it's a high conflict custody battle. And the dad just says, will you take our kid to the doctor too much? You have Munchausen by proxy. And it's like complete BS, right? Like no doctor is saying it. There isn't like no CPS investigation has been done. It's just someone saying a thing, right? Like that's usually what false accusations look like, or there's suspicions because there is some genuine medical issue. But then once there's an investigation that comes to light extremely quickly, you know, my colleague Bjorker always tells this story about, you know, she, so she is a child psychiatric nurse, and a lawyer and professor emerita, which means she's a retired law professor. And you know she has this incredible background, and she's been working as a Munchausen by Proxy medical child abuse expert for like forty years, and has done all kinds of court testimony, et cetera. And one of the first cases she worked on was a really sad case of a mom who had a child that previously died mysteriously, and so that's thought to be a red flag for probably obvious reasons. And her child was bleeding from his ears, and it wouldn't, it, it just wouldn't stop. And so they they flagged it and they were separated for a short period of time and it kept happening to the child. So then, okay, immediately they know this isn't the mom, this isn't the mom doing it, right? Because it's happening when she's not there. And so obviously, like, we never want to say it's not a big deal to separate a child from a parent. Obviously, that is a huge deal. I appreciated her telling that story because I was like, okay, that's what it looks like when there's a suspicion of something and it turns out not to be true, right? And every story I've heard, you know, Mike Weber has a story that he tells on the show about a teenager that they thought her mom might be doing it. And then it turned out she was doing it to herself. And like, it, they it becomes clear pretty fast. And it's not to say that there's no such thing as like a medical mystery child. There is. But this is not very easily confused with that because the behavior of a legitimately sick child doesn't look anything like the behavior of an abusive parent. And in order to make it sort of like up the chain, there has to be... They're looking at evidence, right? It's That's how you do one of these investigations. It's not giving the parent a mental health diagnosis any more than like you would give a father who is sexually abusing his children. You wouldn't send him to a psychiatrist and be like, oh, can you tell us if this person has pedophilic disorder, right? Which is also in the DSM. That's also a real thing. But like you wouldn't try and diagnose the dad, right? You would try and say, did this dad harm his children? And so it's the same thing, right? It's like, is there evidence that this mom harmed her
0: child? I'm sure there are a lot of people right now listening with a lot of wheels in their head spinning and churning and going, uh, so what are some of the like, really like egregious red flags that we would see maybe that would give us reason or cause to have some concern?
1: Yeah. And I think, I mean, I, I should say that if you are really concerned about someone in your life, if you are seeing these signs that I would send, and maybe we can put it in the show notes too. AppSec, which is that organization I'm part of, they have practice guidelines so they have like a whole like kind of list of of the the red flags and sort of what to do next and that kind of thing but if you if you are really concerned about someone in your life you should report it you should report it to cps and the police because you will hope that one of those organizations will do something about it and unfortunately the knowledge uh, in both of those organizations in most states is, is very low. But you know, nonetheless, it's important to report if you feel like you're seeing something concerning. So I would say what it ultimately comes down to is that this is a behavior that involves intentional deception. A lot of times you see moms posting a lot on Facebook or on other social media about how their child is sick, posting a lot of pictures of their child being sick. If that doesn't match up, with what is actually going on with that child when Mike does his what's called collateral interviews. So when he's interviewing friends and family, they'll say a lot of things like, you know, and there are these things that we see again and again. And I always want to say these things with the caveat that they're most of the children you see who are Premies or who have a feeding tube, you know, legitimately have those issues. And that's not a reason to be suspicious of people who have, you know, kids with those issues at all. But there are these things that come up again and again. So we see, I think almost every case I've seen, the kid has been born premature. The feeling there is that that was done on purpose, right? That that was sort of where it started. And there have been offenders who've said exactly how they've done it. It's really upsetting. And you see, you know, another pattern that I've seen is if people have multiple children, their children will be born increasingly premature. So, you know, you've had kids so you know that that sort of line of viability is around kind of 24 25 weeks so i've definitely seen that sort of pattern where it gets kind of closer to that line and of course any kid that's born really premature is going to have some legitimate issues right so you can see where for an offender that's sort of a setup that's going to meet their needs right then the other thing you see is a lot of feeding issues so almost every case that Mike has worked on, there's been a feeding tube. Starts with the one that goes through the nose and then graduates to the surgically implanted one in the stomach. So what we see from a lot of what friends and family sort of are able to observe, because part of this you know, you're not going to be able, and this is why it's important to have an investigation. You're not going to be able to see these deceptions happening unless you have access to medical records, right? So it's not necessarily, but I think something that actually friends and family see a lot of is that they will see, you know, for instance, a child where the mom is saying, they have all of these issues. This child is a medically fragile child. They can't eat. They need a feeding tube. They have asthma. They have, there's also a lot of like respiratory stuff comes up in this. They have cystic fibrosis. That's come up in a few cases. You know, they have this special need, that special need. They have autism. They have this and that. What other parents and people who are friends and family are observing is this is not what I'm seeing with this child. I just watched this child eat an entire meal with no problems. You know, or this child that supposedly has, you know, this breathing issue, I just watched them run around and they were fine, you know. And so it's sort of like the observations just consistently not matching up with what the mom is saying. And it's, it's really in everything all the time. I think it's distinguishable from, in my view, and of course, like, you know, again, it's like, I don't ever want to put any extra suspicion on any mom. And like, there are moms that just like overshare on Facebook, right? So like, you know, and really like tell about and that can also be a good way to like keep people, you know, informed if you do have an illness in the family, right? So you don't have to like call and text everyone. So there are It's not just those behaviors, right? It's kind of the everything all the time. It's always something. And then deception, right? So like, okay, that person, you know, one thing that we see a lot and certainly happened in the case with my sister, you know, when, for the parts that I was there was you told, me one story, you told this person this another story, and you told this person another story about this child's illness, injury, or this health thing that happened. And they're not a little bit different. They're wildly different. So it's looking for that pattern of deception. I mean, these offenders are pathological liars. And there's usually, it's usually other stuff too. I mean, it's usually there's financial fraud, there's lying at work, there's you know, infidelity in their, marriage, sort of this huge pattern of deception. So I think if like those puzzle pieces are fitting to you and you really have a gut feeling, then you should report it. And then, you know, it's not like they're going to take that report and just immediately remove the child. I think that that's sometimes like people have that misconception, right? It's you know, CPS has to jump through a lot of hoops to do anything. It's very, we tend to blame sort of CPS and the police for like all bad things that happen without realizing that like for anything to like kind of go up the chain, it has to have approval from a family court judge. Like you can't do what's called an emergency removal, which is when like, if CPS does an emergency removal of a child, which is when they like show up at the door and take the child before they do their three-month investigation. If they do that, that means that they have had to present a case to the judge to get a judge's order to do that, that that child is in imminent danger.
0: Do you ever wonder how much of your personal data is out there on the internet just for anyone to find? I promise it's more than you think. Your name, contact info, social security number, home address, even information about your family members. It's all being compiled by data brokers and openly sold online. This can lead to a lot of problems, including identity theft, phishing attempts, harassment, and unwanted spam calls. But now you can protect your privacy with Delete.me. Signing up for the service is super easy. Just provide Delete.me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. They send you regular personalized privacy reports showing what info they found, where they found it, and what they removed. I got my report and I was floored with the results. Of the 105 data brokers they checked, 83 of them had my data. Delete Me then removed 173 listings of my personal data off the internet. And they make sure that it stays off too. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me at a special discount just for our listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash MLM and use promo code MLM at checkout. The only way to get the 20% off is to go to joindeletemecom slash MLM and enter code MLM at checkout. That's joindeletemecom slash MLM, code MLM. Head over to quince.com and grab yourself a little something something and support the show by supporting our sponsors.
1: Right, so it's like one phone call from a like, and most of these cases, you know, like the the Britney Phillips case that we're talking about, season two, everyone knew something was wrong. People had reported her multiple times. Friends had reported her, family had reported her, doctor had reported her, like before anything happened, and that's the usual trend, right? It's not like so. I always want to make sure people know, like, you shouldn't be scared to report if you have a bad feeling. You should be scared to not report because something really bad might be happening to
0: that child. That's a good point. Because it does take quite a bit of reporting. So don't feel afraid that your one report is going to be the false report or whatever. Like, yeah, I think it it's good to have sort of a paper trail in these instances. And it, it helps with the case, I would assume as well. Mm-hmm. That there were this many reports over this amount of time from these people that were close to this person. Right.
1: And if you're concerned, you know, and you have like, for instance, like something that comes up a lot, you know, a lot of this behavior, especially in in modern cases where everyone is so online, These cases will take place, but like on social media, there'll be a lot of stuff on social media. So it might look like something like you see, you know, someone, a a Facebook friend posting that they were in the ER all day with their child and they have this dramatic story and you're like, wait, like I saw that person at Costco that day. Like that's, that's not true. Right. So screenshot that, screenshot their text, you know, all of that stuff. And I'm not trying to like turn everyone, into like, I don't want to like sound like I'm trying to like deputize everyone, but just knowing what I know now and like having seen, you know, all of that stuff comes into play because most of these cases will end up being circumstantial to a degree, right? And the medical record review, they're going to have an expert come in and do that. You don't need to worry about that. But all of this collateral stuff can really come into play in a case, right? Because they're trying to show a pattern of deception, not just, again, a pattern of just a child being ill or having a mysterious illness. There are plenty of children with mysterious illnesses. Those parents don't lie about test results. They don't say they were somewhere they weren't. They don't keep switching doctors when they get told their child's not sick right so it's and it's also not a parent being anxious i mean that is you know sometimes that behavior i think can look suspicious but again it's one of those things where it's like immediately when they look into it they're like okay this is not the thing right so it's not just a parent that's bringing their kid into the doctor all the time and being like oh she sneezed does she have like whatever that's like that's a different that's a problem where okay that parent needs some help they need to like some help with their anxiety they're not abusing this child They need some help with with their own mental health.
0: You're saying a lot of these buzzwords that make me keep thinking of MLM, like intentional deception and like plastering on social media, like one story where everybody is like, but that's not actually happening. So it's this whole like falsification of a story and there's all kinds of crossovers. So Ah. let's talk about these different crossovers of the MLM Huns and um, maybe the moms of the Munchausen by proxy group.
1: Yeah. And the funny thing is, you know, I, and, you know, funny grim, not funny. ha. You know, I've had a fair number of survivors tell me that their moms were involved in MLMs. It's not, I don't think I, you're, you're not off base there. And I mean, I think Yeah. Like you were saying, like the things that that sort of stick out to me and again, sort of us not being as apt to recognize, like we can recognize a man being emotionally abusive or being an asshole or like yelling at people and sort of like, that's like pretty easily recognizable, right? We're like, that guy's being a jerk. He's yelling at people. He's saying abusive things to them. We recognize male violence. We recognize male emotional abuse. I think we're way worse at recognizing it when it's women because it's way more subtle and it's way different. It is that, hey, hon, like I'm trying to do something for you, right? Like that's the whole MLM thing. And so it is that cult like hold that people have. There's some stuff in the literature about Munchausen moms really having a cult-like hold on their children because they will cut out anybody who's not a sort of true believer, right? If you question, and that is, you know, what happened to my family, right? Like we had concerns, we had questions about my nephew, and this is 13 years ago now, and that was it. We were out. Like that that was, we were sort of dead to her from that point on. And that is typical. Uh, Now that I've talked to survivors, you know, they will say like, yeah, it's so weird. I I just have all these memories of like people that were really close. And then one day they were just gone, right? And so it's that like, you're with us or you're against us, which is a very cult-like mentality that I think really exists in, in the MLM space as well.
0: Absolutely. That us versus them narrative. And like, you're just a hater. If you're not with us, you're against us. Right. Deleting anybody who is stirring the pot or asking too many questions. Right. Right. If you're constantly being, but, but Becky, I saw you at Costco. I know you weren't at the <laughs> hospital all day. Right. Like, you were at Costco, right. deleted, blocked, gone because you right. now know too much.
1: Right. And it's people, especially like on, on TikTok really love to use the term gaslighting a little bit too loosely. Um, But you know, it's like, I think everyone started to use gaslighting for like that person said a thing I didn't like, but it is truly gaslighting, right? Because gaslighting is someone trying to convince you that, You're crazy, right? Like you didn't see what you thought you saw. Those leggings weren't actually moldy or whatever, you know, like, or like, you're not seeing with your own eyes what, what you're seeing. Like they're trying to convince you of their version of events rather than what you have Evidence for. And I think we all, you know, something that I think people have in common where, like, if you're involved in one of these stories or if you're involved in an MLM, is that everybody watching from the sidelines thinks that would never be me. I would know, I would know something was wrong. I wouldn't fall for it. I wouldn't get pulled into that. And it's like, yes, you would. Like, it is totally human nature. If you are in A vulnerable position in your life, and someone comes along with it. Like, we all have moments where we're vulnerable to that kind of influence. If it's your family member or your friend or someone that you love and trust, that is human nature. We do just believe people most of the time. You go through most of your day believing people, right? Like, otherwise, you would be, I mean, you would drive yourself crazy. And one of the things that I think one of the pieces of damage that's left with sort of MLM survivors and people who've been through these stories is that for a while you do go through the world questioning everything and wondering if everyone is lying to you and sort of seeing like, is there a conspiracy? Because you actually have been in the middle of And that completely changes, like, you sort of lose your innocence in that way. You lose lose the ability to, like, sort of believe in people in quite the same way. And I think there's, like, sort of good and bad parts of that, right, of, like, having your eyes open in that way.
0: It doesn't matter. Like, you think you're sitting on the sideline being like, that would never happen to me. I would never fall for X, Y, Z. Well, guess what? Tomorrow, ABC is going to come by and you are going to fall for it. Because there is a scam for every single person. Right. Scand- they, just yeah. they just have to find you. Just have to find you. That's it.
1: Yeah, and it's sort of at the at the right moment and the right thing and it's like we all and it's not it's not a failing, right? I think, you know, there's sort of a And I think, again, like it's with the MLM space, it's like, okay, when do you cross the line between being a person who's being scammed and being a person who's contributing to the exploitation of other people? That's, I think, a tough thing for people to grapple with who've been in that space. I know, I'm sure. And I think that for those of us that have been involved in one of these at least for a while, if you were credulous, you feel bad about that. You feel like, oh my gosh, I should have seen it sooner. But I think too, it's like, you don't know what you know until you know it. What I have no sympathy for in both cases is once people have been presented with all the evidence, then you are making a choice. And like, there is a point where the smoke should clear. And if you are continuing to participate in it, if you are continuing to defend an abuser in either space, right? Like if you are continuing to exploit other people or you're continuing to defend an abuser and protect an abuser, then you are culpable, you know? But I think like you can't, just because you believed that person initially, like that's not a failing. It's not a weakness. it's, It's not a wrong thing. You know, it's just a human thing.
0: I completely agree with you. It's like, once you can see it, you will always see it. You'll always have this little bit of like, like you said, you lose your innocence. It just, it, it, all of this breaks my heart. The fact that you just, yeah, like abusers, like you're seeing the abuse, you're culpable to the abuse. You understand you've actually done the work and and listened to the people who are trying to educate you and you still continue to side with the abuser. And and it's, I don't have a lot of sympathy either.
1: No. And you have to, I mean, and I think again, with a similarity to MLM space, it's like, if you have to get in deeply conspiratorial thinking to continue to defend your position, then your position is wrong. (laughs) If you start using words like witch hunt and like, I mean, you know, it's like, you see this sort of language around it, right. Where it's like, you know, I'll read these cases and it's like, Okay. So you are, you know, because like the dads are such interesting figures and we interview three, three dads, four dads, actually the total with Fabian in the first episode. And they were all dads that were protective dads and tried to intervene. And three of them did so successfully. And one of them, you know, his, his case got dismissed, which is an absolute, the Mary Welch case, which is an absolute, you know, travesty of justice there. But, you know, it's like they were presented with the evidence And they made the right choice. Right. And they chose to like see what was happening. And of course they felt terrible. They felt shame. But then there's like, I mean, I would say from the stories I've heard, it's like half and half, you know, like there are dads then that just like refuse, refuse to look at the evidence. And the way that they justify that to themselves is you sort of get in these really like conspiracy this doctor's out to get us it's all coming from this family member that doesn't like us it's the doctors getting kickbacks from cps for parenting classes which is like one of the most sort of hilariously off-base things i've heard where i'm like i don't think that's how pediatricians make their (laughs) okay you know or like it's a corrupt it's like okay you know, we talked about sort of false accusations. Sure. If it's a dad in the middle of a nasty custody battle and he says this woman has MVP and literally no one else corroborates that or like one other whack job family member corroborates it, but there's no doctors, there's no CPS people, there's no guardian ad litem that's saying this. But if you have multiple doctors, multiple times, multiple CPS investigations, you have the police saying it, you have family members saying it, you have friends saying it, you have, you know, X, Y, Z, you are looking at evidence in the medical records of like you know concerns from doctors of lies about their health then there's no excuse and yet people do and i think it's like that's where it really is a cult-like mentality where you're like i'm going to find a way to justify this belief system that has nothing to do with evidence with logic common sense, human behavior, like all those things, like have ah, to go out the window at some point to keep believing that there is nothing wrong here.
0: Yeah. I, I couldn't even imagine. I mean, being a father in a home of a child who's being medically abused and being presented with the evidence and experiencing it, like experiencing the investigations, experiencing CPS showing up, experiencing friends right. and family saying, I'm concerned, right. watching your child suffer and still being like, hmm.
1: Right. No, you guys are all just against her for no reason. And I, I mean, I love her
0: and I believe her. I mean, and right. but you also have to think, like, again, with an MLM, when you were all in at that point, right? admitting that you promoted a scam for the last X right. amount of years or whatever is really right. hard right. And to, I think have it to is- battle with. It
1: is. And I think it's one of those things where it's that sort of like, there's a sunk cost plus something even sort of much, much more powerful than that, where, if you have been in it for a long time, if you have been that parent that has been looking the other way, I mean, it's in MLMs too, because you're doing harm, but like, especially with this, it's like, at some point you can never admit it because for you, then you would have to live with the fact that you'd let it happen for, for, you know, years years and years and years and years and years. I think that there's like a tipping point with these, with the dads in particular, but with other family members, you know, the person's parents, the person's siblings, whatever. There's like a tipping point where they're confronted with evidence that is so compelling. And then they either choose, you know, to do the right thing, the right hard thing, or they're like forever gone, right? They're in the cult forever and they will defend their position. It does not matter what you put in front of that person. It doesn't matter if you put video evidence, it doesn't matter if they see it with their own eyes, like they will believe what they believe. And you know, I you talked to Mike Mike Weber who's the detective on the podcast, you know, he's worked in crimes against children for a long time. He's worked in crimes against children for decades and so he's worked all kinds of other abuse cases too. And he said, you know, that's not an uncommon dynamic for other kinds of abuse, right? So for sexual abuse, right? Like you have moms that Once they realize it's happening, you know, because most people who sexually abuse children are men, you have moms that once they realize it's happening, they immediately intervene. They do everything they can to protect that child. And then you have moms that just look the other way and just will never, you know, and I, I think that's just the most shameful behavior. I think you're a collaborator at that point because you're helping protect that
0: person. You're an enabler. Yeah, I've heard stories, horrible stories from from friends who experienced and the things that they say where I'm just like, I can't even believe that that somebody would enable that.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, for those people, when they grow up for survivors, they have to live with then not only the fact that their own mother, the person who is supposed to love them best did this, but that their parents and some of these other adults around them let it happen.
0: Yeah, there's definitely a point of no return. Absolutely, yeah. whether you you are presented with enough factual evidence that there there's no question to the contrary, right? Whether right. it's like MLM, you, you are, whether you it's are child abuse, yeah, exactly. Right. exactly. There's a point of no return, and there this is the end of the line. You go left or you go right. There's no right. going back. It's left right. or right from this point. And thankfully, a lot of people choose to say, "I'm you know this is bad, and I'm going to fight this." But the the ones that stay, the enablers at that point, there's no going back. There's no going back from that point. No.
1: Yeah. You have become that thing now. And like, it's, it's really, you know, I really admire the work you do because you're using what you learned in that experience to fight it. Right. And that's, that's not everybody that can do that. I mean, I think like these experiences on both sides of this that we're talking about, you know, are very traumatic. And so it's like, if someone just wants to like, Leave an MLM and never, you know, talk about it ever again. And that's what they need to do, then like that's if that's what's healthy for them, like that's perfectly. And like that's always always like I will hear from survivors from time to time that feel like they have kind of an onus to tell their story. And I always try and tell them, I'm like, if you want to, that is so helpful and wonderful. And like I will support you 100 percent I will do whatever I can to kind of amplify that. But It can be very hard to talk about these things and dig these things up. And if you don't want, you don't need to do anything for for anybody else. Like you living your life is enough, like go do that too. So it's like, but I do think it can feel like you sort of are taking some control back and taking some empowerment back when you feel like, okay, I went through this experience and now I can sort of illuminate it for other
0: people. I'm curious if you also get messages from like survivors who are like, thank you for helping me process this. Like I never processed this. I don't really want to talk about it, but I know that I'm not alone, and in that, I have processed it, and like I'm getting my healing. I get those all the time, and yeah. I'm curious if you get those as well. I do, I do, and they always make me cry.
1: I I got a message from someone the other day, and I I don't say this to just like whatever gas myself up, I promise. but yeah, I got a message on Instagram from someone, and they just said, "Your podcast saved my life. Thank you." And I just, you know. And yeah. And then I've gotten a lot of like sort of longer messages from survivors. And the common theme is I thought I was the only one because everyone is so isolated and there isn't awareness of this. And there is all of this pushback. It's really interesting. You know, I was talking to my producer yesterday as we're making season two. It's like for the general population people aren't aware of this very much at all. Or they're like, yeah, yeah, that was in the sixth sense, like you said, or like the Gypsy Rose case, or they have this like tiny, like sort of pop culture related, like knowledge of it. And then for people that maybe are aware of it, they're not aware that there's a pretty organized pushback, right? Like there's a pretty organized group of sort of deniers and people that say this isn't a real thing. This isn't a real you know, this isn't a real phenomenon or like, it only happens like one in a million. All these women are being falsely accused. Like there is a very, very strong resistance. And that is what keeps people quiet. Right. And also the, you know, for the women who get away with it, who I think of as the vast majority, again, that is what all the experts have told me is that the vast majority of cases are slipping through the cracks. If those survivors do talk about that experience, those offenders will be very vindictive and they will go after them and they will say they're lying. I never did that. You know, look, I was never charged with a crime. Like, so they, you know, you're lying and you're this. And so it's like, they sort of, you know, might have to experience this trauma all, all over again. And so I think like for survivors, it's really, it's important that we recognize this abuse because we want to stop it and intervene if it's happening. But it's also important that we recognize because, We have to sort of live with right now at this moment, most people are not going to be separated from their abuser and they will be raised by their abuser. And we have to try and help those people when they come out the other side. And it's really hard. It's really hard to recover from.
0: I couldn't even imagine like that level of abuse and it's, you're 24 seven. You can't escape it. You're not, you're not even old enough to escape it. You, you you have no way to leave. I, I just
1: you know, it's deeply psychological too. It's a real, like really an attack on the child's identity because, you know, like I've talked to a lot of survivors that they're just grappling with realizing, you know, usually in their twenties or sometimes like later in their thirties and forties that they were told all their life, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do that. Like you can't walk, you can't this, you have this problem, you can't, you know, like you're gonna die young, you're a sick person, you have a brain thing, you have a heart thing, you have this thing. And then they come to realize it was all a lie and their conception of themselves is as a sick person and they're very scared of the world. They're scared to try things. It's like, you know, I talked to a survivor who was like, I did a yoga class the other day and it was so empowering because I was always told that I couldn't be upside down because I have this XYZ disorder that made it. And then I realized I could, you know, it's just like the, the physical abuse is very bad and can be deadly, but the psychological abuse is so profound. And if you think about, I mean you're you're a mom, like think about how much you shape your kids' view of themselves and the view of the world when they're little. I mean, you like nobody has more influence on us than our moms.
0: Nobody. Nobody. I feel so much for those kids and and the cycle psycho- of like the psychological abuse. Like these weird things, like these old wives' tales, I guess that's what yeah. it's called that. But yeah. Like, the the intentional aspect of it is what really strikes me because I'm sure we all have parents that say ridiculous things, but to know that it is an intentional deception to get yes. what you want and what you want is attention and right. love. You want to be
1: the heroic mother. And, you know, you see like people, these women kind of out there in the world and they are like The super mom, you know, they're on this board of the thing for sick kids and they're the president of the PTA and they're like, you know, and everyone's like, oh my God, that mom is so brave and so amazing and like, you know, just lavish with these things of like, because there is sort of no more sympathetic position in society than to be the mom of a sick kid. Right. Like, so they're totally exploiting that. And it's really, It's a deeply upsetting thing. And I think that understanding that it's intentional and it's knowing, like there is a mom that's bringing her kid in because she's hypochondriac or or even having like delusions, right? Where they're like, oh my God, my kid has a brain tumor and I know because this is a, it's like that is very easy for doctors to distinguish when that is going on versus this because it's intentional, it's researched, they're presenting with symptoms and then the doctor says they don't have this because they don't have X, and then they go to the next doctor and they add on those symptoms so that it will look like this thing. And it's like, it's this pattern where you really see this clear deception and these women are, it's a long conversation on, essentially, right? It's very, very intentional. And so, you know, they are culpable for their behavior. There is this sort of mental illness component, but it really should be seen the same way pedophilic disorder is seen, right? Like, yes, there's, we can all agree, like there's something wrong with you if you will intentionally harm your child. If you sexually abuse a child, do you, do we think that you are mentally well? No, of course not. Does that mean that we're going to prioritize your treatment over the safety of your children? Absolutely not. I think that we can all agree that there's like a line that you cross. and yes, like no parent is perfect. Every, every, we all do things to mess our kids up even when we're doing our absolute best, you know, and there's a lot of parents that like end up in the system that that shouldn't be there that if they could get some more support if they could get you know if they weren't having to like live in poverty then they wouldn't you know or struggling with substance abuse or whatever those are a lot of issues that can make parenting really difficult that can where the parents can be helped and the family can stay together and there's a reason that's the mandate for for CPS i think you know, CPS lives in the, in the popular imagination in this way of like, oh my God, it's this like sinister, you know, but no, it's a bunch of 24, it's a bunch of idealistic 24 year old girls who are getting paid nothing for the most part. Like it's almost all women, a lot of young, a lot of turnover, you know, who came out with a social work degree and like go into this work and their mandate is to keep families together. So they try train most states, like they will try everything they can to keep a family together and that's as it should be. But I think we can all agree that there's just like a, line that if the behavior crosses it, if you almost kill your child because you suffocated them, poisoned them, put something in their IV line, took blood out of them, Poison them with salt. You know, like these cases that I've seen. Like, if you if you have been shown to be intentionally starving your child to make it look like they have feeding issues, like you're done. You shouldn't be around children anymore. I'm not saying like you know that that person's mental health shouldn't be attended to in some other way, but like I don't think they should be around children. Just the same way that like if you sexually abuse a child, sorry, no no more being around children for you. And we sort of have agreed on that as a society, right? It's like we have these safeguards that we put in place. Like you're on a list and you can't go near schools and whatever. And It's like, we need that for this, but we just don't recognize the abuse in the same way. But I think I would like to see us all in sort of a cultural agreement that like if a mother almost kills her child or if a mother is really harming her child with these behaviors, that she should not be parenting that child anymore. She's not a person that can be trusted around children or vulnerable people. I completely agree. If you put it in those terms, it's sort of easy to agree on, right? And that's why a lot of my colleagues, including Dr. Jenny, who is the person who came up with the term medical child abuse, why they came up with that term is to like really put the focus on like, let's talk about what this person is actually doing to their child, not what's going on with them mentally that's making them do it, right? That might be interesting and it might be worth exploring at some point, but like, let's talk about what this person is actually knowingly doing to their child. That they are poisoning them, that they are drugging them, that they are doing these things to make them sick, and that is a horror. But I think there's so much obfuscation around the issue and when it's presented in the media with these sort of, quote, false accusations, which, spoiler alert, every time I've read one of those pieces, sometimes I know the backstory of the case because it's a small community – Sometimes I don't, but I can just like read between the lines. And I'm like, yeah, that's not a false accusation. (laughs) That's a person who slipped through the cracks, right? Because they're like, I I know enough about the context to see what's not being said. And so, you know, I think it's very easy to sort of be like, oh, this is an exotic thing. It almost never happens. It's like this poor woman, because that's what people want to believe. People don't, I mean, I've, I've seen this resistance over and over again. And from really good people, again, this is not like, I've had to understand this and I understand how hard that is to accept, but it's like people just like kind of don't want to live in a world where women would do this to their children. They just don't want to live in that world. They don't want to have to sit with that. And especially they don't want to live in a world where a mom who seems really nice And lovely and normal, and it's your mom next door who's in the PTA. Like, we don't want to think of that woman being capable of the worst thing we can possibly imagine, right? We want to think like, yeah, they're going to seem like Jeffrey Dahmer. They're going to seem like a weirdo. Like, you know, like they're going to seem outwardly sort of, I I don't want to use the word crazy because I feel like it's not, that's not a good or helpful term, but like, you know, they're not going to seem outwardly psychotic, right? And we all would like to think that someone who is capable of this sort of like ultimate depraved act would not seem normal. And in fact, they seem extremely normal. I mean, I sat with Hope Yabara and interviewed her and, you know, for the season one finale, That was incredible, by the way. That was a wild experience. It was a wild experience. And I think about it a lot. And, you know, I know what she's done. She's on the very extreme end of the spectrum, right? She almost killed her daughter. She could have killed her daughter multiple times. Absolutely depraved behavior. Sitting with her, you wouldn't like she doesn't seem scary. She doesn't seem dangerous. She was so warm. She cried. She seemed, you know, again, where we don't recognize female violence, right? Like it's the tears. It's the poor me. It's the, I've been through so much. And then like, you sort of walk away and you remember what she did and you're like, no, no, no. Like these women's lives don't end up well, a lot of the time. I mean, a lot of times they turn the behavior back on themselves So it's like, yes, I I do feel empathy for her sort of on that level, like just as a human being. But I'm also like, you know, you're not really taking full accountability because you say you don't remember. I don't think that's likely that you don't remember. And you know, you did this thing like that's the reality and and we shouldn't soften the reality of what she's done or what any of them have done.
0: I mean, listening to your podcast and I, I won't give spoilers because I really do think that if any of this conversation has been interesting to anybody that you should just go and listen to it because it's fantastic and the whole first season is available. But like the things that she did, I was like, I didn't know a human person would even think to do that. Like I didn't even know that's a thing that you can do. It was so depraved and so yeah. desperate and so evil yeah, that I'm just like your own child. I, I couldn't imagine doing those things to my worst enemy, let alone right. my right. own child.
1: Right. Your own, your, and I mean, I, I think that's why it's so, you know, especially for those of us that are parents and you know, I will say like, it's been somehow I decided to start working on all of this, you know, with the novel, when I was pregnant with my daughter and I've been working on it through that and pregnancy with my son and having really little kids. And it is hard. It's like, you look at their little faces and you're just like, how? And then they think you just have to sort of like, for me, the way to reckon with that is to. Let that help you understand how much a person who would do those things is not capable of empathy. That is that is my belief. And some of my colleagues... I think, believe a little more strongly in rehabilitation than I do. And I, you know, we interviewed Dr. Mary Sanders and I think my full conversation with her also is, oh, is coming out in a couple of weeks on, as a bonus episode, but and she's totally fascinating and I really respect her. And she, and I think there's probably some room for like mothers who have done some of these less serious things, right. Who get caught sort of in these less serious behaviors, you know, to sort of be rehabilitated. I know, you know, Mary believes that, even a serious offender, if they take full, if, if, big, huge, if they take full accountability for their behavior, which I don't think most of them would ever do. And nobody disagrees about that. I really don't understand how you could do that to your child and be capable of any empathy whatsoever, because I just feel like that part of you would have to be so turned off to do those things, you know, and, and that really like, there has to be the presence of psychopathy to, to be able to do those things. And so I think that is a very tricky It's a very tricky sort of type of offender. And the thing about what I said, where it's like, you have one of these stories and it's the most shocking story you've ever heard. When you've heard a bunch of them, they all sound the same. I mean, these are all, they really, it's like a, there's a playbook and they do research online and they find other cases and, you know, it's, it's so, I knew it was dark going in it's, it's, it's darker than I imagined. And I think it's darker than most people can imagine until they've seen it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Like the building of the case and the emulation of other cases and looking for symptoms of specific things. And then having your child exhibit those symptoms by like Googling ways to have your child exhibit those symptoms. Mm -hmm. Just very strange things. Like there's so much intention and like determination that comes with this.
1: It's not not an act in the heat of a moment. And I think not to say that like obviously it is wrong to hit your kids, but like, I think that's a kind of abuse that we understand because you understand how someone could get frustrated enough to hit a child if they were in a really bad place or substance abuse. It's like, I think we all understand how a situation can escalate to that, right? Like it's not right. People should be held accountable for doing it, but it's like, You can connect with that feeling of having to walk away for a minute and get your breath because you're so frustrated with your children. Like I think most people can, if they're honest with themselves, can sort of at least sort of connect those dots in that way, right? But yeah, so we can understand anger, right? We can understand having a moment of anger and someone doing something inappropriate in a moment of anger. I think with this, it's so different because it's so methodical. It's so planned out. It takes research. It's premeditated. You know, it's ongoing, right? It's this long, long series of events. And, you know, we were talking to, we interviewed Dr. Jenny, that colleague I mentioned, She's an incredible colleague on on this committee and she's, she's local here in Seattle. She's a child abuse pediatrician and she has worked in the field of child abuse since like the 1960s or 70s. So she she was around when this happened. She was around when, you know, she was one of the first people to like Be a child abuse pediatrician. She like wrote the first exam for child abuse pediatrician, so she's incredibly knowledgeable. She's retired now, but she she had been a child abuse pediatrician for a long time, and she's worked in child abuse and just as a pediatrician for many you know for decades. And she said. You know, you sort of take the amount of medical records of like a healthy five-year-old, right? You know, it's this, it's this small stack, right? Like I can think about like, okay, I have a four and a half year old. I can think about and we've been very blessed. She has not had any health issues. So we've had like, you know, two urgent care visits for high fevers that of course, you know, dropped the minute she walked in the door. And then like her regular well child visits and like a couple other, you know, whatever small things, right? So you have like that, that's a sort of normal medical file, right? She said, then you have the one where the child has a chronic illness. So children with cancer or cystic fibrosis, and they're like a bigger stack. And then you have the ones from these cases and they're like three times as big as the ones of the kids that have a chronic illness. So the amount of things that are happening, the consistency of it, the amount that these parents are taking their children to the doctor. One of the things that came out in the public record about my public record request about my sister's case was there were seventy five thousand pages of medical records for a five year old. What? And you know, again with the caveat, my sister has not been charged with a crime. We're going to talk a little bit more about her case in season two and what I've sort of uncovered about it, but. I mean, that's just like, another thing that makes these cases so complicated, right? Is there's just so much paperwork to go through? I mean, an expert has to sit and review 75,000 pages
0: looking I mean, for- I mean, I feel like even the fact that there are 75,000 pages should yeah. be the biggest red flag of all. It is It
1: is a red flag. I mean, I, I don't know how you could accumulate all of that. You know, and again, like I've I, all of these cases have 10,000, 20,000, 30,000. I mean, it's the numbers are always like, you know i've seen mike like has pictures of like the boxes and boxes and boxes and they fill an entire bookshelf and for really little kids for kids that are a few years old so i mean it's and i think that that's one of the things about this is that like sometimes you have something like that's more of a sm- sort of quote smoking gun right that like, you have like video evidence you know or you have what you know we were talking about that separation test where like okay this child has all of these issues do you separate the mother and then immediately all of the issues resolve? Like, okay, that's a, that's a big piece of evidence, but it's it sort of, you know, it does come down to a lot of times. If you don't have video evidence, it comes down to, is there any other explanation for all these things? Like, is there any other plausible explanation for why this child is having all these issues? And then again, looking for that deception. It's also with deception. It's not just the mystery. It's also like,
0: the mother is the
1: only possible, like this is the only possible explanation.
0: It's just such a fascinating topic. And I'm I'm so appreciative to you for making the podcast so that we can, it, it brings language to something that we're experiencing all the time and we don't even know. It helps yeah. us see the red flags and not only like, Hey, this is kind of a red flag, but also like what the worst possible scenario of ignoring those red flags could be and yeah. the abuse that happens and the exploitation of children which yeah. is just something that we're tackling a little bit more this year because it is so important and it comes up in so many areas yeah and if we really are you know going to help the children then i think we should really be talking about the actual issues that affect them And and this you're saying is, you're saying this is the number one. It
1: has, um, according to a couple of studies, it has, it's believed to have the highest death rate of any abuse. And... Cause you can see like why this is very physically, you know, can be very physically dangerous because of, well, yeah. and that's when it's in that induction, induction stage, right. When we're talking about things like poisoning or suffocation or that, that kind of thing.
0: I mean, not only like the long-term effects of poisoning and suffocating and, and doing horrible things to a child in the formidable growing years of their life, but like you also said, the lasting psychological and mental impact for yeah. the rest of, I mean, this is the rest of your life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, I want survivors to be hopeful and know that they're not alone, and I also want us to take this seriously and understand like how big the impact is, even if a child does survive. And yes, to your point, like kids get used as sort of a, a weird, like I don't know, moral panic go-to, right? Where it's like, oh, the children, the children. And there are a lot of things I, I think we probably talk about that are being done sort of in the name of protecting children that are, have nothing to do with protecting children, right? And that is like a big sort of political football right now. But I find this, I always want to emphasize, like I think this. this. This is an absolutely apolitical, bipartisan issue. I think that is demonstrated by this coalition of us that are working on it. Did I, you know, have on my bingo card for like 2022, 2023 that I would be friends and working with like a a boomer, you know, bachelor, the police detective from Texas? Like, no, I did not. But here we are. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like, I think something that like, and you know, there's a lot of the people I've talked to on the podcast are, um and not that I've gotten into politics with them, but uh, are, I'm sure we are from very different ends of the spectrum. This is Fort Worth, Texas. No surprises there. I think like it's, it, that's been an interesting part of the experience too, but we all sort of see it clearly and understand like this is not I sort of say that prophylactically because I don't want anyone to turn this into a political issue.
0: Right. And, and that's how I feel about MLM, too. It's like there's a lot of us that have very different beliefs on the back end, but we all believe that right. these structures are inherently deceptive and. Immoral and harmful, and harmful, evil and yeah. harmful. Yeah. right? Yeah, and so that's the common ground, and that's and I work with a lot of a lot of boomer white guys too. Shout out sometimes, yeah. listen, <laughs> and yeah. Great. I mean, listen, and they're the, great.
1: Those allies are important, and it's like that's a strength, right? I think it's a strength to be able to work with people that, and I think like you know, I again, we we'll probably get on a whole tangent about this. I won't, but I think it's it's something I've been thinking a lot about because you know the the family that we're talking about in the second season is the the guys the Sheriff Bill Wayborn is a sheriff in Tarrant County. And he is, I just absolutely adore him. And I'm sure like not we don't have a single, single crossover in our political (laughs) beliefs. But it's I it's made me think a lot about how I think the media would have us believe that the other side is all idiots. And they I, I think that like that goes both ways. Right. I'm like, well, and they also trust me. And over here I'm like a Wildly liberal, you know, <laughs> novelist from the Pacific Northwest, and they trust me, and I trust them.
0: So it's like, you know, I think if we
1: all keep believing the worst in each other, then we're just not going to make any
0: headway. I completely agree with you. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming and being so candid and sharing. I'm so fascinated. I I loved season one. I cannot wait for season two. Do you want to do some questions with me? Sure. So I I edit these a little because. You know, we're not talking about really MLM. I mean, there's a little bit of crossover. So a little MLM crossover, but give me a word that encompasses how you feel about medical child abuse. Oh
1: my gosh. I'm
0: um, aware. Yeah. I think we should all be a lot more aware that that's a thing. That's a thing. Yeah.
1: Like just seeing it clearly. Yeah.
0: Give me your top red flag to maybe going ahead and making that report that we've been on the fence about?
1: I would say to people to trust your gut and watch for that pattern. And, you know, we have also, so I I mentioned that the practice guidelines, I also have a website, support.com, that has like all of that put into plain language so I would I would say like, it usually is when, when we talk to people that they're just like, I really had a feeling something was wrong, but I didn't know what to do about it. And so if you feel like a parent is lying about their child's health, um, especially if you think, you know, if that child is being presented as very sick, if that child is being presented as, you know, having something that's potentially deadly, that is heading in that direction, you know, just trust yourself and the the consequences of not reporting are much worse than the consequences of possibly reporting and having it not turn out to be true.
0: Great advice. Trust your gut. If your gut says, "Mm," that's the biggest red flag. Because
1: moms, like moms know, right? I mean, I think especially moms know, like all of us know, but I think like when you get that really bad feeling that something is not right around a child and you ignore it, like, that's just, it's, it's not the right thing to do. And we would feel this way if you had like the same way that you would report it. Hopefully, if you felt like a coach was being really creepy with the kids or a teacher was being really creepy or a pastor, they're just, you just, something wasn't right. You know, look into it, like talk to the other people in that community, see if they're noticing the same things.
0: I feel it. I feel that. Yeah, for sure. This is the MLM crossover question. And I'm going to ask you in your opinion, what you think the worst MLM out there is.
1: Oh my gosh. I mean, oh my gosh. I feel like I'm not as knowledgeable about it as you are. I feel like they're all bad. I want to say Lou the road because that's like the one I know the most about. But I feel like, um, you know, I will say, actually, here, okay, here's my answer. Doterra scares me the most because I feel like there is a crossover, if you want to talk about like unholy alliances. Like, I think there's a crossover with like the essential oil space, anti-vaxxers, and medical child abusers because there's this weird, like, and again, not to say that like the one would like lead to the other, but there is this whole space of like, you know, non-traditional medicine plus MLM. I mean, that is really a that's really an unholy alliance. So I, I would say from from my knowledge base, probably that one. And maybe I'm going to get some hate
0: mail and that'll be fun. But anyway. So. No, you you hit it right on the nose. I think anybody yeah. listening was like, yeah, we were going to say that too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what is the hardest lesson that you learned in all of your education and going down the Munchausen by proxy route? I
1: mean, I think that... And again, you know, we're going to talk about this in season two with a lot of context. And so, um, you know, and that's not just to get people to listen to it, which I want them to do, but it's, these things are, you know, hard to unpack. I have learned things about my family situation with my sister. And I've learned things about the investigation into my sister that I cannot unknow. And those things are hard to live with. I needed to know. Um, I needed to pursue that. I was ready for it, but all of the context plus sort of what I've what I've uncovered is 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 hard to live with. And my feelings about that relationship, not just as it stands, which is that we've been estranged for 13 years, but even as it goes back all the way to our, when we were kids, have been really affected by that. And it's just it's a hard it's a hard thing to live with. But again, I maintain that it's better to to know the truth and to see clearly.
0: Yeah. And then give me a positive takeaway from this experience.
1: I mean, there, I think this experience of, especially of making this show has been overwhelmingly positive. I mean, being able to talk to people who've been through a similar experience to you is very healing. And You know, it took me a long time after this, you know, this first incident of my nephew being investigated and falling out with my sister over it, It took me a long time to talk about it and to talk about it publicly. And I think it's taken me a long time to figure out how I can use that experience to be helpful to anybody else. And I think there was just a long time in my life where I wasn't sort of emotionally ready to do that. And now I am. And, you know, with some colleagues of mine, we're running support groups for survivors and for family members. And, and that's just like, I've seen some survivors really make a lot of progress. And that's just like incredibly healing for me and just like a really positive experience. And it makes it feel all worth it, you know, and it, and it to connect with all these other people. And just, I I can't overstate how much it's meant to me to have all these people share with me they're like, you know, worst experience of their life. It's really, that's just been a really positive experience to have those, those conversations with, with those people and feel like by listening to them and by sharing their story, I could, I could help them. And, and they've all, I mean, they've all helped me. They've all helped me just by, by sharing those experiences with me.
0: I love hearing that. It, it makes me feel like warm inside that there's so much positive After all of this. Yeah, it's
1: more positive, I think, than maybe, maybe you would expect, right? It is like dark material, but there are I've seen people who've acted absolutely heroically to save their own children, to, you know, doctors who put their careers on the line to intervene. Mike Weber is an amazing guy who's worked so hard and has such a deep sense of right and wrong. And, you know, so it's really like, even though this podcast and this issue, you are looking at the worst of humanity, like you also just see these examples of people just, and human resilience. Like I just... I talked to some survivors who I'm just like, I don't know how you are just like still standing. And it is amazing what people can live through and still go on and build a life. You know, I think that's just like, that's very inspiring. And I just, I never want people to give up on survivors just because I think sometimes when people hear how severe this abuse is and the sort of psychological elements, they can just be like, oh, well, no one who lived through that could be okay. But it, you know, that's not true. Humans are amazing and live through things and be resilient and not every single one, obviously. And obviously it always will be with someone, but like, that's been, I found more to be hopeful about than I expected.
0: Yeah. You know, there are other ways to be your kid's hero. You know, you can just support them like, like just religiously look at Andrea Swift. That worked out for her really great. So you can be a really wonderful, supportive, loving, and just like fan number one of your kid And you can be their hero that way too. You don't have to save them from the perils that you put them in to be their hero.
1: And that is not, that is feeding your own ego and need. And it's not wrong for like the other sort of MLM crossover is that part of what like gives the space for both medical child abuse and MLMs is the absolutely horrific way we treat moms in this country, you know, and the lack of systemic support. And like, not to say that that's an excuse for anyone to be, you know, an MLM hun or a medical child abuser, but it creates a breeding ground for those things to exist. And we have this sexist belief about mom's that they're not real humans, right? So that they wouldn't be capable of the full range of human behaviors, including evil ones. And it's that sexism that keeps us from seeing this when it's right in front of us. I think like it's the same with MLMs, right? It's like they flourish because women are in these impossible positions.
0: Right. Right. It's like, uh, what? Not her. She's the sweetest. You're like, well, yeah, yeah. that's kind of why she's the sweetest. Right. She's hiding like, something. No,
1: man. She's a, like an evil con artist. <laughs> it's like,
0: I mean, look at Deanne from LuLaRoe. She My looks God. so sweet and nice.
1: She talks the talk. And I mean, yeah, it's just so like, if, if I met Deanne, you know, at a thing, I'd be like, what a nice lady, you know? And it's, she's obviously incredibly sinister. But like It's, it just, it's, it hides very well in the female form and we are bad at recognizing it. And people just, you know, and I think like, Men are very uncomfortable with the presence of female evil um, or the idea of it. Like, they don't want to think about, I mean, not all men, obviously, but like, there are men that don't want to think of women having those dimensions, right? Like, it's funny how this plays out. And I think, like, it's kind of similar with maybe the MLM space, but like, it can play out on both sides of the political spectrum, right? Where, like, you know, on the right, you have this sort of like mothers are these like holy, sainted, like women in the home, women would never hurt their children because women are like, you know, inherently made to be mothers, right? So that's sort of where they hide on that side. And then on the other side, you know, you have with feminists, there is the idea of that you should always believe women. And that is a very tricky one for me, as you can imagine, because of course, most women would never lie about their child's health or any other sort of big traumatic thing. But there are some women who would. And so, I I like what Mike Weber says, which is believe the evidence, right? It's like, we have to accept that women are equally capable of harm as men. I mean, I believe that it comes out in a very different way, but women reinforce systems that are harmful, women harm, you know, others. It's, it's, it looks different, but it's, it's just as present. I don't think women are inherently good any more than like any other human beings. Women are human beings capable of all kinds of human being things. (laughs)
0: Completely agree. Completely agree. Thank you so much for, for coming and having this chat. Where can everybody find you, follow you and listen to your show?
1: Thank you so much. Um, Yeah. So the the show, Nobody Should Believe Me is available wherever you listen to podcasts. So, you know, for most people that's Apple and Spotify, I have website andrewdunlop.net where you can find about all the things I'm doing. I'm also very much on Instagram. I'm not on I uh, have pretty much ducked out of Elon Musk's Twitter these days, and I'm no longer on Facebook, so that's really the only place I am. And munchausensupport.com is the place to go for resources specifically about this. We have resources for for professionals there, so if you are a social worker, teacher, doctor, law enforcement person listening to this, please go there. You can also get in touch with us there if you are a survivor, family member, or a therapist who's treating one of these folks that we have resources there for everybody, and you can get in touch, so that's the place to go for that.
0: And I will make everybody's life easier by throwing everything in the show notes. So you can just (laughs) click the link.
1: (laughs) I will send you all the links.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Again, thank you so much. You are an absolute joy. And this was a really, really fun conversation.
1: Thank you too. Thank you so much for, you know, I just, I really appreciate you helping me, you know, share this information with your, your listeners. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much for listening to Life After MLM. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. And follow us on social media at Life After MLM Podcast and my advocacy at The Real Roberta Blevins. You can find all of the links to the social accounts in our show notes. And if you just listened to that incredible story and you thought, oh my God, I have a story just like that that needs to be told, hit me up, therealrobertablevins at gmail.com. I would love to have you on the show to share your story and start your journey in life after MLM. See you next time, Hans.